Yes, it does. Live from the NASDAQ market site overlooking New York's Times Square. This is Fast Money. I'm Brian Sullivan. In for Melissa Lee, once again, your traders on the desk, Tim Seymour, Aaron Feinerman, Dan Nathan, and Guy Dami. Tonight on Fast, the deadly coronavirus spreads. The WHO meeting again. We hit it from the CNBC angle and break down the big money impact. Also, a big winner in today's session, Netflix. It nearly topped the tape. I'll tell you what set investors streaming into that stock. And later on, an electrified call today. Don't worry, it's nothing to do with Tesla. It is another big upgrade that caught our attention today. All right, welcome, everybody. We'll get to all that and more coming up. But let us begin with Intel. Their earnings were out. They beat the street. The stock is higher. Conference call just kicking off. So let's get to Josh Lipton with more on Intel. Josh. So, Brian, Intel beating here on the top and bottom. Uh, Guidance Q1 and 2020, both higher than expected. If you dig into the results here just by segment, uh, CCG, so chips for PCs, $10 billion. That was better than expected. DCG, so chips for servers, uh, that came in at $7.2 billion, also better than expected. Analysts have been looking for about $6.4 billion. Had the chance to quickly catch up with uh, Chris Rowland over at Susquehanna. Covers the name. Easily exceeding a low bar, he told me. The DCG. CG business, in his words, was outstanding this quarter, driven by cloud growth. His checks indicated Microsoft uh, was a buyer. More broadly, indicating he said that those big cloud giants, the Amazons, the Microsofts, are now stepping back in here. $4.9 billion in OPEX, a bit more than preferred, but bottom line, this stock is surging in the after hours. For more on this name, uh, be sure to tune in tomorrow. Intel CEO Bob Swan will be on CNBC on Squawk Alley with her own John Fort, so tune in for that. Conference call as you indicated brian taking off right now back to you we'll call that a bob swan event thank you very much josh lipton all right let's <laughs> trade intel pc shipments were up guy adami data center shipments were up looks like a pretty good quarter but the stock is already up i wonder if people had already bought into this well it's had, it's had a huge move to the upside a lot of these uh, chip names have had a big move the the reason to own intel i think tim has talked about this uh Valuation and valuation, I think, is as compelling it is now in the aftermarket as it was going in, given that first quarter guide. I mean, the first quarter guide on EPS and revenue is pretty extraordinary. But the one thing that sort of I looked at and said, "Wow," is operating margin guide. They oper- they guided for thirty five percent operating margins, which is about fifteen percent better than the street was looking for. It was coming in around thirty point three percent. So their product mix is getting better. So despite the fact that it's had a significant move not only in the last half hour, but over the last couple months, I think you stay with this name. So what's interesting also is the, when you think about the, the, the upgrade on the guidance, you think about the things that were issues in terms of execution, uh, supply shortages, uh, the 10 nanometer. I mean, th- these are things that were actually headwinds for Intel and may have actually helped them in terms of the, uh, the overall mix with data center in this last quarter reported. And that be, may actually be the tailwinds that I think are what give people some more confidence. Again, execution was a big deal uh, for a company that's run a long way, but it arguably been underperforming the group. And, and, you know, the question is, do you, do you beat up on AMD on the back of Intel strength? Well, I'm not sure. Massively yeah. underperforming group. You think of the SMH was up 65% or something like that last year. I know that Intel's up 40-some percent off of the August lows, but it was only up, like, say, 20% of the year. So it underperformed the S&P, underperformed the NASDAQ, underperformed its peers. Here's the thing. The setup coming this week was really interesting. Most analysts rated this stock a hold or a sell. Jeffrey's upgraded it 
on Tuesday from a sell to a hold, which doesn't sound like a real table pounder or anything like that. But they obviously highlighted some of the issues that you guys just mentioned, some supply constraints, some of that sort of stuff, valuation. They also noted the fact that new management, Bob Swan, he's obviously now the CEO, uh, maybe the potential for restructuring. So um, that could be something in 2020. The stock is below the all-time highs. There's not too many mega cap tech stocks that are still below their 1999-2000 highs. 76 bucks or so was that. I suspect this stock trades that the first half of this year at some point. So you think of me, a multiple expansion here? Yeah, I mean, well, 13 times, you know. Which is, by the way, half of Texas Instruments and almost yeah. a quarter of the price-to-earnings trailing, of course, of AMD. Yeah, I mean, okay. uh, just you know, real quickly, and I'll, I'll, I'll kick it over to Karen. I mean, you know, the, the Jeffries analyst said they divest their memory business. They did, there's a lot of things that they could do to kind of get that earnings growth going again. It's been low single digits, I think, for years now. That is how this stock would get re-rated. So we look at AMD. It's up a little bit after hours. I don't know if this is a share shift, you know, back toward Intel. I mean, the run that AMD has uh, has had is just, I mean, it, it shocking. It, right. So I, I don't know. I got to wonder if if it, at Intel is better from here than AMD. AMD, is, tra- AMD is now trading at 44 times trailing earnings. Intel 13 times. Now that's trailing earnings, but on almost every five-year metric, Intel still below. It's averages on things like price to earnings to growth and, you know, everything to cash flow. But it's closing in. Well, it doesn't appear cheap. Doesn't appear cheap, but but, but the discount, um, it, it's kind of apples and oranges, first of all. Um, but also when you consider the, the Intel's, the diversity of its business and actually the different parts of the chain that they're in in the chip space. But if you think about actually the, the performance and where Intel is getting punished for execution issues, that AMD actually is coming into their own and actually looking like they're in the sweet spot of also a product mix that actually is higher margin and in a place where, so the valuation differentials don't make, I don't think, it's worth even talking about them, but it is worth talking about that Intel was being punished on execution. And if this means you're getting a turnaround, you now have the CEO further in place. That's something the market wants to believe. I, I agree. I think, it, again, it comes back to the, that guide and operating margins means the product mix is much better. It's not unlike what we saw a couple days ago when I butchered her name, but with IBM in terms of the term they're making. So I think you can, I think you can absolutely own Intel at these levels, and it does. It's not an indictment on AMD by any stretch. It just means AMD, Intel might be finally catching. I got up. a call from Gina Romanetti's people. They were not upset at all. Uh, but I, but I will. Say I didn't say I Romanetti. Okay. I mean, I'll give you the Gina, but I'll, thank you. I just have to say though. Here's the thing: the analyst community, their average price target is four dollars below where the stock is now. So they're either going to just basically just say it's over, you made your money, or we're going to have to see a new round of analyst upgrades and price I think they've got to see a new round. This is a really, I mean, the Or they give up. The beat. They say well, you made the money and that's it. I don't know. I think we'll see, I think we'll see upgrades tomorrow. I mean, uh, clearly stock's up four bucks in the after hours. That's a lot, having been up a big up slightly today and a big run going in. But still, that's a very impressive Dan quarter. thinks we'll see 76. Well, listen, I, I think you've brought this conversation out a little bit. We've had some guidance from TSMC. We know that there's a lot of excitement about this 5G um, upgrade cycle <laughs> that's coming over the next 12 months or so. Obviously, um, Intel, without this mobile business, that's less of a thing for them. That's more focused on some of these other businesses. But when you think about it, I think when you have guys like Microsoft going in there, buying data center again, I mean, th- those are we know the that conference. there's a massive cloud war here, and this is going to be something that Intel was not not well positioned for it, mis-execution, as you called it, over the last 18 months or so. And they paid for it. They paid for it in underperformance. So is the stock cheap trading well below um, a multiple, market multiple and its peers, especially when some of these higher growth names that took share, um, you know, 
I just don't know. I mean, listen, if you get this thing to 76, let's just say hypothetically, and you just kind of guided EPS for 2020 up, what, 10% or something like that, I don't know what the number is, then, you know, you can see this thing at 15, 16, it's still below a market multiple. But, but, and I like how you, you broaden it. Let's broaden it to Texan, yeah. too. Again, who gets into the analog chips, we talked about this, and, and, and a little more excitement around industrial usage and things that were, ah, not so good. I mean, is this a read-through to the economy? Is this a read-through to CEOs now being able to exhale a little bit on confidence. Doesn't, you know, I'm not one of these people that thinks the trade war signing changed the economic focus of the world. Uh, I do think that we've heard this from people throughout the network today. We heard it from UNP. We heard about CEOs talking about more confidence post-trade deal. Maybe that's part of what you're getting. And, and the same today. guy that was mad we talked about Tesla so much last night is probably saying, why are you talking about Intel? I should remind that guy who's made up in my head He's mad. that it's a member of the Dow and it is the sixth best performer in the Dow. So even if you don't care about Intel, you might care about the overall market and Intel matters. By the way, Intel's call is now underway. If Josh Lipton's listening in and any new headlines cross, he will bring them to us or we will bring them to you. Either way, we all benefit. All right, we are just getting started here on Fast Money. Up next, Netflix making investors a lot of money today. Why the sudden pop? There is a reason. We'll dig in. But first, fear is growing as the deadly coronavirus spreads, break down the market and big money impact of the latest viral threat. And as always, we're live for the NASDAQ Times Square, and we're back right after this. All right, welcome back to Fast Money. We are following new developments on the coronavirus outbreak. Fears mounting globally as the virus is spreading. We have full CNBC team coverage standing by. Seema Modi watching the travel sector. Contessa's digging in on the casinos. But let's begin now with some new numbers on that outbreak. And for that, we go to Meg Terrell at HQ. Meg. Hey, Brian. Well, the numbers are climbing by the day. Now more than 650 confirmed cases and 18 deaths. More countries now reporting their first cases, including Singapore and Vietnam. Still just one case confirmed here in the United States. Now, the World Health Organization warned today it's likely there will be more international cases and said all countries should be prepared for containment. Still, its emergency committee, after meeting for a second day, stopped short of declaring this new coronavirus a public health emergency of international concern, citing its limited international spread thus far. Some Chinese cities, though, on lockdown, transportation in and out of Wuhan, where this outbreak of pneumonia-like disease appears to have originated last month has been severely limited. Multiple other nearby cities also imposing restrictions, all in affecting about 23 million people. WHO today declined to weigh in on those actions specifically, but encouraged China to continue openly sharing information. More broadly, it did not recommend any restrictions on travel and trade. Questions still remain about the virus, including just how well it spreads between people. The WHO committee said today about a quarter of confirmed cases are reported to be severe. For some context, as the case count now tops 650 with 18 dead, here's how that compares with previous coronavirus outbreaks, SARS and MERS. SARS affected more people with a mortality rate of just less than 10%. MERS affected fewer than SARS, but that mortality rate, guys, was higher. Brian? All right, Meg Terrell, Meg, thank you very much. Uh, you know, the world is obviously watching this very closely, Karen. This is a big deal. Uh, it is I don't want to say contained. So far, the numbers have been fairly favorable, I I think would be fair to say, given the risk of this outbreak. But the market doesn't seem that bothered by it. 
vis-a-vis the VIX and what stocks are doing. Right, the, the VIX isn't, but some of the names, uh, some of the names really have been. I mean, luxury stocks been getting hit. Louis Vuitton down a lot, carrying down a lot. To me, I bought some Yum China today, and it's just for a trade. I normally don't really trade around a lot, but it's worth 10% less than it was January 17th, before this all started. That, to me, seems aggressive on the downside, very aggressive. And so, I mean, we've seen this before. We've seen it with SARS. We've seen it with Ebola. We've seen it with swine flu. These things do generally pass, other than the, you know, 1300 bubonic plague. They generally pass. So I think those, there's opportunities out there that I think we'll, we'll see them quickly bounce back. I mean, hard, it's hard to say, look, I'm not suggesting I know it's contained, but on the other side of things, I can't say, you can't come out and say categorically that it is. But to Karen's point, I mean, it's extraordinarily difficult to trade this. You're not trading the broader market around it, but individual names that have been sort of taken out to the woodshed to the extent she talked about make a little bit of sense. I think you can. But if you're trying to game it on a broader market, I, I, I think it's, it's as hard as this game is, you've made it that much harder. Okay. So there's the news in the macro. Now do I dig down a little bit, perhaps starting with the most exposed sector to coronavirus. That, of course, is travel. A lot of individual stocks there really have been hit hard. Seema Modi joining us now with more on this side of the story. Seema. Yeah, Brian, uh, news of this virus spreading is certainly not good news for the travel industry that has really enjoyed a rising demand from Chinese travelers around the Lunar New Year. In fact, in 2019, travel within the mainland jumped 8% during that two-week period around the holiday festive season. That's according to government data. Now, analysts warn that these new travel restriction and fears over getting infected will likely disrupt travel. Travel. The question is to what extent the shares of travel operators booking holdings, sea trip, are down in today's trade. The cruise lines that have been investing in China over the past couple of years under pressure. Now, of the three, SunTrust analysts say Royal Caribbean has the highest exposure to China, accounting for six percent of the company's full-year capacity. A Carnival is at around four to five percent. SunTrust Patrick Scholl says while history has shown that travel stocks tend to sell off following a health scare, in most instances these stocks do. Re- rebound about one to three months after. Experts say it really depends as to how fast this virus spreads, how long it takes health officials to contain it, and, um, you know, at the same time, the impact it could possibly have on China's economy, Brian. All right, Seema Modi, Seema, thank you very much. Why don't we talk about and trade maybe some of these names, Dan? Yeah, you know, it's interesting. So we just talked about how it really shouldn't have a huge impact, let's say, on U.S. stocks, but obviously she just mentioned some multinationals. It's having a big effect on uh, Chinese stocks. The Shanghai was down almost 3% last night. And so when you think about this, I mean, you think about the last point is like, what does it mean for economic growth at a really important time, the, the, the Chinese New Year? Um, who knows? You know, this might be the lowest GDP print in 2020 for China in decades, below 6% this year. Not good timing. And the longer it sticks around, it's just going to be the longer that you have uncertainty. And the consumer is really the issue, especially with debt levels over there in China. So to me, this is not the sort of story you can say contained or not. It's not going to fit within that bucket that you want it to fit in. It's going to linger for a while. So some historical context on both you know, China and, and also travel. So Cathay Pacific was a name I was trading back in 2002, 2003. And the stock, certainly on the announcement in the fall of 2002, uh, fell almost 20, 25 percent before going on a multi-year re-rating. Uh, that was a catalyst of realizing that this was not the issue that it is. So again, don't want to be insensitive to, to the potential uh, 
tragedy that, that could be out there. But I, I will say this. If you look at the travel stocks overall, look at bookings, which is the, you know, the biggest name in the bunch as far as I'm concerned. They are expected to grow mid kind of upper single digits. Um, and their room night lodgings are supposed to go over 10 percent. They are buying back shares. If you listen to Cowan, which had this as one of their top ideas for 2020, this is a name that's underappreciated. A lot of these travel stocks have kind of done nothing until now, which has made them more vulnerable on this news. But I think this is one you take a look at. Yeah. And also, uh, we talked about it on the exchange today, RCL, Royal Caribbean. They've got something the analyst that was on said 8% of their revenue is, is tied to China. So there are, it's not just hotels, too. I mean, it could be airlines, to your point about yep. Cathay, which, by the way, Cathay, which doesn't trade in the U.S., right. also dealing with a little bit of Hong Kong unrest, yep. which hasn't got a lot of attention. Yep. China, to your point about GDP, yep. is facing the Hong Kong threat, the trade war, and That's now this. That's more persistent, the, the Hong Kong threat. Yeah, I mean, it just hasn't been on the front pages, but it's still going on. I mean, nothing has been resolved in one of the key financial markets in the world. Right. That, to me, is more of a drag. I mean, to me, I also think even if travel stocks report a really bad quarter, I think that people will just look through it. They'll get a pass. They'll get a Well, well, here's the other thing. You know, people are already in the streets in Hong Kong. If this were to spread to Hong Kong, they're already in the streets. So back in SARS, there were there were administrators of cities and stuff like that that were that were, you know, um, kicked out and stuff like that. So, you know, depending upon how this thing is felt, um, it's being dealt with. That's another issue. But there are other ways to play it, too. You look at I I just want to mention a name today that was up, what, four or five percent JetBlue. They had really good results this morning. They don't have this exposure, right, as a, as a lot of the major U.S. carriers. They're pretty much domestic. They don't have Boeing exposure. Um, and that chart, I don't know if we have a five-year. That just broke out of a five-year downtrend. It looks like a rocket to me. And they just guided up for 2020. I think consensus was for 238 in EPS. They guided to 250 to 3 bucks. Those are the sorts of stories yeah. that you want to kind of look at. And, right and by the way, on JetBlue, Tim, to comment on this, we had an analyst again on yesterday who suggested that Southwest could make a bid for JetBlue, and A, they complement each other, but Southwest may look to diversify their airplane fleet away from the 737. You can do that very easily by buying another company that has a lot of Airbuses in it. There's always a lot of speculation. The industry certainly could see more consolidation. Southwest CEO on the network this morning talking a little bit about the dynamics also of, you know, could they go to uh, an Airbus plane? But I think a lot of this stuff is is certainly all in the mix. Um, I I just think, you know, also look at the chart. We're going to talk energy later in the show, but charts in oil, charts in copper, charts in anything that look like they're an impact on global demand and commodities are falling here. Um, and I, I think he, he, right now okay. I would be watching for being overdone. Okay. Now let's get to another group that has hit hard this week. That is the casinos. Macau on high alert. It confirmed a second person has been infected with the coronavirus. Let's get now to Contessa Brewer with more on the fallout for these stocks, which are down 6, 8, and even 14 or 15 percent this week, Contessa. Yeah, I'm looking at Melco right now, down more than 15%. Brian, Macau was hoping for a booming business over this week's major holiday. And instead, now it's identified that second case of coronavirus. It has canceled all large public celebrations. The Macau government ordered the casinos to put masks on all their customer-facing employees and airlifted a major delivery of face masks into the region. Though the casinos are not revealing the cancellation information for this week, one pointed out to me that the majority of visitors come from Beijing or Guangdong, where there's not been an outbreak of the coronavirus. MGM Resorts tells me it is proactively following government regulations, vigilantly tackling hygiene, cleaning the facilities both in the front and the back of the house. Melco and Las Vegas Sands issued statements saying that they are prioritizing the health of their guests and of their employees. All the casino stocks in Macau 
have taken a hit this week, though. MGM did gain back more than a percent of ground just today. Still, the gaming analysts I talked to expect share prices to suffer more before they're on the mend. The real question here is, will this week's impact stretch on and be enough to impact the quarter's results? Brian. We'll find out. Contessa Brewer, thank you very much. Anybody on the desk? buying any of these casino stocks on this week? No, we talked about this earlier in the week. I mean, Wynn Resorts, for example, topped out at 150 in the spring. And when it, over the summer, we said, you know what, it's been in this range from basically 105 to 150. Held that 105 level. We talked about a chance for it to get back to that level. And guess what? That's exactly what happened. But despite the fact that it's gone from 150 to 139, where it currently is, and almost a straight line, I don't see any compelling reason to buy the stock in the earnings at the end of the month. So the answer is no. I do think that the expectations on Macau going into 2020 weren't terribly high. I think the bar was reset. I think there was certainly already some regional headwinds that, that are there. And I think the comps are actually relatively easy. So, uh, I, you know, going into this tragedy or to this event and, the, and, and these headwinds, uh, I don't think that the, the industry was priced for, for growth. Therefore, I think, you know, again, we think at some point this is going to get past this point where these things are trading yeah. on in the moment, but rather on longer-term fundamentals. And I think they're going to get very interesting. You just do the math, right? We just don't know how many people are in. Let's say, that, let's say the casino is 25% full. Some people still go. And it's 25% full for two weeks. And then it's over, and then it get, they get full back again. I mean, the, the revenue loss may not ultimately be that great. Now, if it gets more serious, it will. But yet the market, especially Melco, which is almost entirely in that region, Guy Dami, has gotten crushed. No, I think that's fair. I mean, you tra- and I think this is one you probably can't trade around. But again, going back to win, like, as we get into earnings in a market that seems, at least in my opinion, somewhat vulnerable here, why get in front of this now when you can wait and see what they say in seven or eight days from now? That's the way I would play it. Okay. Good stuff there, Contessa. Thank you. All right. We've got a lot more coming your way on Fast Money. Here's what's still on tap. A bold call on Bitcoin. One top Wall Street strategist sees the cryptocurrency doubling by year-end. He'll tell us why. And later, your call of the day. This stock seeing some electric returns following a big upgrade. We'll bring you that name. And as always, you can watch or listen to us live on the go with the CNBC app. Fast Money is back right after this. Well, even though the Dow ended the day lower, overall, it was another record day on Wall Street. The Nasdaq closing in and yet another new high. It's now up nearly 34 percent in 12 months. But it's not just stocks getting bought this year. Bonds, they've also caught a bid recently. And because of the buyers, yields have moved down the 10-year at 1.73 percent. Let's talk more about all of this and maybe a little about crypto with Tom Lee, co-founder and the head of research at Fundstrat, Global Advisors, Stocks Up. Bonds up, gold's up, real estate's up. How? These are great questions. Yes. I think it shows that people may have owned too much cash in the past two years. And now we're Somebody had a bunch of cash sitting around, a couple trillion. That's right. The Federal Reserve. Yeah, not just central banks. (laughs) Um, I I actually think there's money flowing into the U.S. So I think when we see the tick data, we're probably going to see foreign inflows into risky assets in the U.S. as well. So I think... This, the story for this year looks a lot like risk premia shrinking, which means continuation of last year where P.E. multiples keep expanding. Is there a way to quantify it? I know we've talked about it, and Guy Dami's been talking about it, and Tim's, we've all been talking about it. Any way to quantify how much of this run is central bank driven? If, if central banks weren't easing, 
let's say the, the Fed kept rates where they were, just reversed the December 2018 cut, but did nothing else, where would the market be? Um, I think markets would stall. I mean, maybe not because the fundamental flows would stall, but I think perception would change, and I think people would pause to see how things would unfold, and therefore stocks would stall. You, I mean, you, the, the growth of the balance sheet, I mean, it's historic. It's going to be by April, the balance sheet of the Fed will be larger than it's ever been in history. In an environment where, I mean, according to people in the administration, it's the best economy ever. Why are we taking emergency measures in a situation where there are, what's the emergency? Yeah. Um, I mean, I, I sympathize with that view because, you know, at this point in the expansion, debt should be, government debt should be shrinking. But I think there are problems outside the U.S., so I think the central bank is still carrying the weight of the world. And I think that's why we have the accommodation. And for the moment, it is good for risky assets, which, again, is good for the economy. So, but in terms of asset allocation, Tom, is, is the thing to do here, it seems like the mega caps are catching uh, this large basket of money coming in. Do you stay in these trades that have worked that are obviously, in some cases, Google's not a difficult valuation to get, you know, uh, Apple's not a terrible valuation relative to itself. It might be. But h- how do you play this? Or do yeah. you go into underperformers because they have underperformed? Yeah, um, I, I think there's sort of two themes you can play this year. One is uh, the PMIs recover, and so you want to be long the tech, the industrials, really that cyclical trade and really led by tech. But the other is risk premium is coming down. Stock equity risk premium to bonds is still really elevated, and you want to buy stocks that have high risk premium. Like healthcare is, is actually the cheapest sector today uh, on that basis. So, so, Tom, back to the bonds, though, for a second. I mean, last summer when we saw the 210 yield invert, well, obviously the Fed fixed that sort of thing. That was kind of an issue. And we saw the 10-year Treasury go down to, you know, multi-year lows, 145. You had this bounce. It could not get through two. Heading back down, it, it's actually breaking the uptrend that it had been in yeah. since the summer. And if you were to see that yield curve kind of flatten again, are we going to have those same sorts of concerns, especially after all that easy money that we've had in the last six months or so? Is it really speaking to just really that the growth is not there? And then when you talk about these risk premiums, that maybe they're just getting a little too elevated. Yeah. Um, I mean, if the curve flattens again or inverts, it's bad. And so stocks are going to tumble or have some stumbles. But... I'm not surprised yields are kind of falling because, you know, with with coronavirus, I I would imagine people are going to do some risk off. And I think people have made a lot of money last year. So I think I'm kind of more attributing this to sort of, you know, potential risk because this could be 2003 SARS again. When you talk about industrials, are you looking for U.S. centric or U.S. contained industrials as opposed to? Yes. Yeah, because I, I think it makes sense that you should see some short-term effect from uh, the quarantines and the slowing trade. So, I mean, I think mater- basic materials maybe hit harder. But with industrials, you know, they tend to do well when the PMIs recover. So we're anticipating a recovery in the ISM above 50. And so guys like Dover and, you know, maybe domestic, less aerospace. But, Yeah. We talked about Dover last week. Remember sure that? we did. The all-time high going back to 19... you got to go back to Fonzie. Wow. To, to <laughs> the last time to that Dover... Which is usually where people go back by, to. By the that way, is the where, where is inflation? The Fed is pumping money at the problem. We still don't have real inflation above 2%. We haven't forever. Are they going to keep going until they get that inflation target? Because at some point, you either just give up yeah. Or, or are you just gonna it's gonna double down. Yeah. I mean I would say anchored inflation expectations are gonna take a long time for people to start to think about inflation. Um, it should start to rise this year because labor markets are tightening. So I, I think for twenty twenty it's less of a 
part of the calculus for investors, but which means the Fed, you know, might be easy longer than we need to be. But that might be a problem in 2021. Quickly, still bullish on Bitcoin? Yeah, 2021, 2020 should be great for Bitcoin because you got, number one, the halvening happening, the block reward for miners getting cut in half. That's a good supply demand change. I think last year the White House killed the Bitcoin rally by turning by the, with their opposition. But with the presidential election cycle underway, it's not going to be in the headlines. And that's bullish for Bitcoin. And then with, you know, geopolitical tensions in the Middle East, I think that's good for crypto. So should be a lot of tailwinds. We're getting a lot more interest in it as well from our clients. You are. You're starting to see more yes, real interest. a lot. All right. Tom Lee of Fundstrat. Tom, it was a real pleasure. Yeah, great to see you. All right. Uh, you know, Guy I mean, we, we people are going to criticize, criticize you or everybody else for saying, oh, it's the Federal Reserve. You know, it is the Federal Reserve, but at the same time, it's just benefited people. And, and at some point, even, even the biggest Fed haters in the world, the Jekyll Island rejectors, have to at some point acknowledge that and maybe cave in and say, you know what, I'm, forget it. I, say, and, and can I add to that? No, the second part of that question is, what did you think of Chuck on Happy Days? Um, you know what? He had running. a brief stint, Chuck. Yeah. He, was a, he played basketball. I think he went off to college. And then the people realized that, you know what, you don't need Chuck and Richie. Give it to Richie and let Joni play a minor role. That's what I think, number one. Number two, listen, I get it. I say it all the time. It doesn't matter the reasons your stocks go higher. The money in your account is as real as it was if it was going up for the quote-unquote right reasons. But at what cost? And to answer your question about where's inflation, well, it's in everything we talk about every night because asset inflation is absolutely here. I'm paying for education. I don't know if you folks have seen that. Healthcare is through the roof. And technology is the most deflationary force in history, and we're dealing with it now. So the Fed's fighting the wrong enemy right now. Inflation is everywhere except where they look for it, in my opinion. I'll just say one thing. Tom Lee agreed with me. If the 10-year Treasury yield breaks that double bottom low from 2016 to last summer, I think alarm bells are going to go off in risk assets. If we get close to that, Dan, we'll, we'll have had alarm bells. Though. I mean, you're talking about 140, 136 to okay, 140. Okay, not far, Tim. I mean, look, look, you know, when it, when it broke 2% last year, it went straight back to that low, and it held. And it only held because the Fed got in there, and they, they cut rates three consecutive meetings starting in July 31st. And, and then they started buying, you know, $100 billion a month in, in, uh, in treasuries. I share your frustration, and I'm not saying that it couldn't happen. I'm telling you, though, if we start to challenge even 150, um, we have some structural issues that, that are not here now. Um, and, I, and I realize that we all believe that the Fed is, has greased the rails here. Um, and certainly the uh, coronavirus could be doing such to, to at least put headwinds into the global growth forecast. But 135 to 140 tells you we've got much bigger problems. Okay. Still ahead, crude oil getting hit again. Why is oil down even as pretty much all the oil in Libya is offline? We'll talk about it. But first, we're going to find out why Netflix had such a massive pop today. You may have seen Stranger Things. We're going to show you some stuff right after this. All right, welcome back to Fast Money. Shares of GE getting a pop following a big upgrade. That stock up 3.5%. It is your call. Of the day. Morgan Stanley bumping G to overweight. The analyst sees a budding turnaround for G in key sectors like power and aviation. It says you don't really need to worry too much about the 737 MAX crisis. Do remember GE built those engines. So, Guy, do yes, you sir. believe that a budding turn? And I want to get to Tim, do I know that he owns the stock and likes it? Do you believe that a budding turnaround is in store on a stock that's already at 40% in a year? Maybe the budding turnaround thesis 
has already been bought into. Yeah, no, listen, a lot of people think, I mean, Steve Grosso comes on at 20 and 20. He thinks G is going to $20 in 2020. And he might be spot on. But you know what? I respect Morgan Stanley for putting this out ahead of earnings on the 29th. I think it's a bold call. But I think you're still in the infancy stages of this turnaround. And to your point, you've had a big move. Power, turning around their power business, I think, takes more than one or two quarters. I don't think they're there yet. And again, I think the stock is probably a little bit ahead of itself in the earnings at the end of the month. Well, I think it, it, it certainly whenever the stock's going to be making a big move, you can have the debate well, it's ahead of itself because there is a lot to fix here. Uh, but most notably, the balance sheet. And, and if you think about their aviation business, it's the crown jewel. I mean, it's the one thing that's working. You think about their power business. It's a disaster. And it's a cash flow uh, sucking sound that you're hearing coming out of their, their, their power business. So, look, in terms of visibility into free cash flow, that's what we need to hear out of this company. And I think as long as you're getting some sense that Mr. Culp and company are actually slow slowly improving, the stock's going to go higher. Okay. Good look there at GE. And it was your call of the day. Mm. Now, let's talk about Netflix. Netflix today was the second best performer in the NASDAQ 100. Missed the top spot by a skosh, just half a percent to Citrix Systems. Netflix up 7% today. Its best performance since June of 2019. Steve Flanelis, Scott Devitt, making positive comments about Netflix's ability to grow, even in the face of competition. Dan Nathan, is Netflix a name you're betting on? Well, here's the thing. You know, the other night we had Tom Rogers on when they reported, and Tom, as Guy calls him, what do you call him? Stud? He's a stud. He is a stud. <laughs> and the and you know what? I was actually really skeptical about some of the international growth. He took me apart on email, okay, no, no, in a very friendly way, in a very systematic way. He's talking about pricing that trends. a lot, doesn't it? Well, yeah, a little bit. <laughs> uh, it, you know, but pricing trends in Western Europe, where they have this pricing power to get to the sort of average revenue per user that we're talking about here in North America, and some of the places where they can grow. I mean, listen, he's got it down. He made the case the other day. I was skeptical of it. Today, investors took Tom Rogers' side on that, and, and, and I give them all the credit in the world. To me, I just don't think one day that was a little bit of a short squeeze. I think investors think got so. a little bit off sides a little bit. I think these, um, these issues will persist in the near term. You think today was a short squeeze? A little bit. I, I, An listen, unrelated the stock was, well, we, After the call, we did not think the sub growth was particularly great. Right. The stock was trading up a little bit. By the next morning, it was trading down. It traded down 3.5% on the day. To have that sort of reversal intraday off the Comcast data, I mean, that didn't really seem like a... Like but wouldn't there have been, a, 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 the day before, wouldn't there have been some short covering? Or you think shorts well, the, were the saying, all right, I'll let it... had let a it. really nice run. And, and, and the news but, Karen's but, referencing for our viewers out there is that Comcast, our parent company, had their earnings today. Overall, they were pretty good. But in the numbers were some subscriber losses on the video side, which I think, I, Dan, correct me if I'm wrong, led people to believe maybe people are sticking with Netflix. Listen, forget Tom's brilliant argument about international growth, and he's on it, okay? My issue is the here and now right now. They are not growing in North America. All their best content is leaving. They just had a price increase a year ago. They spent $15 billion. That's $3.5 billion more, right, than uh, cash flow terms, okay? So that was the bleed last year. So this year they're going to spend $17, 18000000000 billion. They're losing Marvel. They're losing all the Disney, all the, all the other stuff. They're losing the office. At some point, they're going to go negative growth in North America, and that will be the story, and that is one of the reasons why the stock has been under. Well, and, and I, I, you're, you're, I agree with all of that. I mean, my big issue with the company is it doesn't make money, and I don't see how it's going to make money in the short term with pricing pressure and more content spent. 
But what people liked about this quarter was that you had the first opportunity to get data points in terms of subgrowth, uh, and maybe it was international, but while you have Disney in the game, while you've got Apple out there, while you've got everyone else bringing their, you know, bringing their guns forward, look, December 4th is when Disney reports, and we'll get a chance to see what these subnumbers look like again, and this could be another catalyst for Netflix. I am not changing my tune on Netflix. I, I, I don't think you need to own the stock yet, yeah, and, and, but I do know, think it... Look, Reed Hastings' core argument is not to say I'm scared of competition. It's to say that the move from linear TV is going to help us all. Yeah. And there's plenty in here for me, and so far he's Well, with Comcast predicting maybe having a slightly weaker than expected prediction for video subscriber growth, that's, that's actually what they said. I guess the idea is they would, everybody else would stick with or go to these other ones. But to Dan's point, is that going to necessitate a 7% move in Netflix? I mean, you know, a couple comments from Comcast. All right, coming up, is your portfolio losing a little energy? If so, stick around because we've got the one oil name you might want to own even as oil has come down in the last couple of weeks. And later, American Express's slogan used to be, make life rewarding. Mm. But will it be rewarding if you own the stock? Don't leave home without us. We're back after this. Well, oil hitting the skids today, down about 2%. you got coronavirus fears out there impacting global growth, as well as high inventories in oil. Two things behind the drop. For more, though, on what this might mean for the energy trade and maybe on some parts of the stock market, let's go off the charts with our friend Todd Gordon of Ascent Wealth Partners. Todd. Hey, Brian. Uh, yeah, let's take a look at crude. Uh, nothing positive here in this chart. We just have uh, just a range-bound market. We got recently slammed up here in the mid-60s, heading back down. We have kind of a deflationary trend here going with that bond market acting so strong, maybe a strong dollar. I don't see much to push crude higher. Uh, I'd like to focus in, though, on a very weak sector within energy, which is XOP, which is oil and gas exploration. There's a lot of natural gas uh, influence in here, natural gas break into a new four year low here, below the two handle. So XOP is very, very weak. We've got a failure at the 200-day moving average, hanging on for dear life here, about the $20 region. I think that's a vulnerable level that goes. And just to underline my point, take XOP, make a ratio into the energy XLE. You're seeing that XOP underperform energy. So no touch here. One of the names that was formerly a pretty strong, relative, relatively speaking, stock was EOG. Um, it's begun to kind of roll over, has a lot of natural gas exposure. Again, failure at the 200-day. If you just do a nice little trend line there, uh, do your perfect parallel. Again, we've got uh, collision at the channel. 200-day, starting to back off here. I don't like EOG. If you must have some energy exposure, uh, look at Kinder Morgan. We just reported earnings, kind of missed, but had some good news in terms of investments for next year, $2.5 billion uh, going forward. Uh, So I like the stock here. Uh, We have begun to push up. I actually added it to my personal portfolio here, about the $23 mark. I think we might have room up to about $27. Uh, KMI looks good after the earnings reports. Maybe look there. But it's a no-touch on XOP. Absolutely not. Now, if you want to short it, perhaps. But no, this, this whole value strat- this value uh, argument that energy has been underperforming for so long, and it's a, it's a compelling valuation. It's, it's weak for a reason. I would stay. We go nowhere near it. There's other sectors that are moving. It's, it's underperformed the S&P. Energy as a whole over the last two years has underperformed the S&P by 37%. Uh, so for me, I'd wait for some kind of technical evidence, compelling reason, buyers to step in on some thesis to say the energy trade is back. But no, not right now. Yeah, and with ESG investing growing, I don't know if the buyers are going to come back. Todd Gordon, Ascent Wealth Partners. Todd, thank you very much. I mean, I, you, we haven't even talked about it, but the 
Tim, there's a Libyan warlord who's basically shut off all Libyan oil exports. I mean, they're not huge, a couple hundred thousand, but, but it's, it's still, it's a major it's supply still something, and yet oil continues and to fall. Even before the coronavirus fears, oil was falling, by the way. Well, even with a draw today, right? Inventory. Inventory draw. Yeah. Is ex- well, I did this two, to two, two, two weeks ago. So, I did a thing on the exchange where I just did the math. There's two to three billion barrels of oil in storage in the world. Two to three billion. Yeah, and, and we spent a couple weeks ago around you know, some of the conference and, and the Goldman event and whatnot talking about the fundamentals for the companies. And, and look, uh, ConocoPhillips is down, I don't know, 7% during this run and I think is trading near the bottom of a range and I believe is oversold. This has been one of the smarter companies in terms of being proactive and having a long-term plan in terms of how they're going to handle assets and not over-investing in the sector. So uh, Conoco and Chevron, to me, if you just want to play it safe those, those are the best companies the best balance sheets and i think you're not overextended I'm yeah, glad. and we had to see chevron by the way on that conference who basically said i'm not increasing my capital spending we're going to remain fiscally disciplined whatever happens right. to the price of oil no, quickly i'm glad you mentioned esg because we had halima croft here i believe last week and i asked her about these big cap integrated names and one of the knocks she talked about was exactly that and you look at exxon mobil which not only made a 52-week low today made probably a multi-year low today into earnings at the end of the month. And, you, you know, we can talk about valuation, and I totally get it, but people seem to be fleeing these names in record numbers. And you Institutional really, investors, they're yeah, selling, guys, you be concerned. Some of, these, some of these pension funds are not allowed to own. They have to sell them. So you wonder if this artificial selling at some point ends. Will there be a, a fantastic buying opportunity? Except for pension funds don't trade actively. And if they've made this allocation move, it's not going to change overnight. I mean, that is, that is a very important technical dynamic here unrelated to this fundamental story. All right. On deck, Amex, up big in a year. Do you buy the stock in earnings plus Grubhub? That stock up almost 20% this year alone. And Kramer is biting into the big move with the CEO coming up at the top of the hour. Here's your Kramer cam. We're at the NASDAQ. We're back after this. All right, welcome back. Well, investors have showed a lot of interest in many of the payment stocks over the past year. Look at the gains. Names like MasterCard, Visa, American Express. That's this year, by the way. But options traders say it might be time to cash out on one of those names when it reports tomorrow. That is Amex. Option plays. Tony Zhang is here on the plasma with your options action on AXP. Take it away, Tony. Thanks, Brian. So let's take a look at Amex. This reports earnings tomorrow morning. So what we saw today was about two times average daily volume traded as a result of that. And if we take a look at the options, it's currently implying a 2.7% implied move for tomorrow, which is right in line with the 2.8% that we've seen over the last eight quarters. Now, this morning, what we saw was a fairly large bearish trade being traded. It was 1,600 contracts broken down into two trades. There was a buyer of a February 21st 110 put at 112, and they also bought the February 14th 110 put for 10 cents. Net-net, this this trader laid out almost $18,000 in premium to take on a short position of a notional value of almost half a million dollars. Now, this has a 15% downside on this particular trade. And if we look at an overall chart, I don't actually believe that this trader is targeting a 15% move to the downside. But if you can see here, we had a breakout level around 125. If Amex pulls back even just a few percentage points down to this 125 level, you're looking at almost 50% gain on this particular trade in just a single day. All right, Tony Zhang, look at AXP. Tony, thank you very much. Karen, your take on Amex. I mean, it's... it's you don't own it. I don't own it. I, I get that, you know, payments has been a great place to be. 
right? They do have credit exposure. Credit has actually been a great place to be as well. Credit has been, you know, very good. Then why don't but you own it? Just the P.E. relative to itself, I think relative to some of the others, I, I feel like, uh, and also personally, I feel like they'll price themselves out of the market. My renewing my Amex, I just found that just offensively high. I don't know. that That's just one anecdotal thing. But the P.E. relative to itself, I find kind of expensive. Tony did okay. an excellent job framing that. And, and the implied movement, I just make one point. As he says, you can actually do it with implied uh, or with defined risk, uh, no matter what it is. The stock just broke out. You can go the other way with calls, too. All right. Good stuff on AXP. And by the way, if you're working for American Express, please call the Feinerman household. They would like a reduction in their membership fee. Well, membership does have its privileges, I'm told. All right. For more options, action with Tony and the gang, be sure to tune into the full show tomorrow night at 5.30 p.m. Eastern time. All right. Up next, it is your final trades. Final trades, Tim, kick it off. Brookings travel stock was somewhat defensive today. I think the EPS buybacks and I think the upper single-digit EPS growth is enough here. I'd buy the stock. Karen? Yes, talked about it earlier. Yum China, I think it's overdone. You don't need to jump in with both feet, but I think it's worth getting started. Dan? Yeah, TLT, I think it tests the 19 highs up here 150. Brian, you're playing her tonight. We all respect that. You're a pro. We talked about JetBlue last week. Broke out today. I think that breakout will continue, Brian. JBLU, thank you, by the way. Everybody, go better. Mad Money with Jim Cramer starts right now.